0: My name is Kerry Hayes, Deputy Chief of Staff at the City of Chattanooga, and you're listening to The Scanner, a podcast from Mayor Andy Burke's Council Against Hate and the American Diversity Report. My guest this week is Dr. Neil Johnson, a professor of physics at George Washington University, who leads a new project that, in their words, combines cross-disciplinary fundamental research with data science to attack complex real-world problems. In our case, we're interested in how he and his colleagues are literally mapping the vast and complicated world of online hate. Dr. Johnson came to our attention after some of his research was mentioned during a recent Senate hearing on violence extremism and digital responsibility. We have abundant evidence that shows us that online organizing and hate speech can leap to real-world violence, and so understanding how and why this world works is critically important. Dr. Johnson's research revealed a number of surprising things about how these networks emerge and interact, and he describes a few pretty provocative ways that what he calls hate clusters can be addressed or at least made less effective. His team has created a literal online map of these hate clusters, and we'll link to their research in the notes to this episode. Their work is a really powerful example of how methods from different fields of research, in this case physics, can be brought to bear in finding solutions to problems that are making our world more dangerous. Neil Johnson, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So your training and your, your professional background is as a physicist, and so I'm curious to hear you talk about how you came to this work during the, doing the, the media mapping work and sort of what your point of entry was into this space.
1: Yeah, I I started off like everyone, hearing these things on the news. And, you know, there seemed to be, I think, like everyone, a perception of, well, we don't even know what's kind of out there on the Internet in terms of we hear about hate and extremism online. And we hear these kind of random stories. They're almost like random stories. And then something terrible happens in the real world. Um, So I came at this like everyone. But I also came with... um, my experience of looking at how um, objects behave collectively. And that's really the key to our particular way of looking at this problem, that, that, you know, nothing happens in isolation. And so... Just as, you know, we understand water boiling, not because there's one bad molecule of water that happens to make the water boil, but because, you know, kind of bubbles form collectively and and there's some complicated set of interactions and then something pops up.
0: Uh, And I want to hear you comment on that a little bit more extensively. And I'm going to read a quote uh, from you that was from a blog post on the George Washington University website about... uh, the, the most recent batch of research I think you published where you say, we set out to get to the bottom of online hate by looking at why it is so resilient and how it can be better tackled. Instead of love being in the air, we found that hate is in the ether, which is a really striking uh, metaphor. And just kind of curious to hear you talk about why, based on what you've seen, why you think hate is so resilient. Um, are the social media platforms that you're examining engineering it purposefully? Or are they fostering it inadvertently? Uh, where is that coming from?
1: Yeah, well, the, the um the, I mean the interesting thing is that um and unfortunately the um the sort of bad news for this is that um this doesn't sit on one platform. It's not one platform can take care of it. Imagine the problem of, you know, there's a yard in a, a neighborhood because it's got some kind of infestation. And so, okay, that neighborhood should take, that yard should take care of its infestation. But now imagine that infestation is everywhere. And that's what we found with the hate online. It's across all these different kind of platforms. Some pe- people may have heard of these words like the chans and these are different kind of social media platforms. We, we found hate, it, it exists across all platforms. So trying to treat it in one Can actually make things worse because it kind of drives it to the neighboring um, platform, and it can come back more resilient in in the in the context of the the neighborhood with infestations. Imagine you take care of your yard, and yeah, but it's all the neighboring yards that then you know it builds up in there again, and then comes back. um, With the difference that in the online world, it's not like you've got um, you know yards across some big city; all the yards are interconnected.
0: And for the purposes of your research, how did you define what you're calling hate at the outset? And sort of beyond that, I'm just kind of curious to hear you describe how you went about doing this research and what it what it, what the resulting map sort of looks like that you were able to generate.
1: Yeah. So we um, we started off looking at um, what the what is seen as what a, what a, what are listed as hate. Uh, groups, and looking at where their presence is online, and then looking at, you know, maybe in um, um, pages, you know, on a particular social media site, um, and then where they connect to, and who connects, and which other pages then connect back to them. So, for example, there can be clusters of which... By the word cluster, I mean something like a Facebook page or um, a, a page or a group on another social media site. There are many different social media sites, um, and so we look at the, how these clusters are connected, interconnected with each other. And we, to be honest, we expected to find that they're all kind of cramped, you know, pushed up into one corner of the internet. But what we found was surprising. It was the opposite of that. That they, it's much fact, like they got kind of that these links between clusters stretch across platforms, across countries, across languages. And so they're very closely connected in in terms of what they're saying, but it might be in a completely different language. It may be in a complete, you know, with a different type of sets of images in completely different countries and on completely different platforms. So this, Debate, which you know, I'm in Washington, we particularly hear this debate in Washington. Is oh, particular social media company needs to take care of it. No, um, unfortunately, it's bigger than that. It's a, it's it's an ecology that lives across all these platforms. So just taking care of it in your one yard is, is. it, it does not solve the problem.
0: Sure, and that that obviously speaks to the to the resiliency of the problem. I'm, I'm before we sort of get into the some of the remedies that you and your team recommended. I'm I'm curious. This is more of a philosophical question. Are the companies engineering this behavior, uh, or are they reflecting something in the sort of human condition, um, or or both, or neither?
1: Yeah, I I think of it as um just in the, the practical thing they provided a kind of vehicle they provided vehicles and then of course what groups of people do with the vehicles can be you know range from very good to very bad um so it's more like they've provided this quite amazing machinery I mean machinery that's never existed in in humankind of course and so we're really seeing kind of like the largest human experiment play out in front of us and of course, just as it will attract good, it will attract bad, and so we're seeing that play out. And there's no real kind of theory book. There's no um, there's no one discipline that really you know has the answer to this. But what we thought is, well, before that discussion can even take place, is we need a map. I mean, imagine trying to solve the map of infestation in the neighborhoods of the. Of the of a city, you don't even know what the city looks like. You have yeah. no idea of the streets. you have no idea of the of the of the individual yards.
0: yeah, and I think that interestingly, that's one of the things that both the 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 tech companies and the the regulatory world seem to agree upon is that we are in completely uncharted territory in terms of even knowing how to define these entities, which which makes that uh, a much difficult, much more difficult problem to address. I did want to quote a little bit again from the same blog post that I mentioned, where uh, you do have a few um, prescriptions about uh, strategies that could be deployed that you think might help address the problem. And I'm going to read these, and then I'm curious to hear you respond to them a little bit. One, reduce the power and number of large clusters by banning the smaller clusters that feed into them. Uh, two, attack the Achilles heel of online hate groups by randomly banning a small fraction of individual users to make the global cu- cluster network fall apart. Three, pit the large clusters against each other by helping anti-hate clusters find and engage directly with hate clusters. And four, set up intermediary clusters that engage hate groups to bring out the differences in ideologies between them and make them begin to question their stance. I think those are Really fascinating, um, a couple of questions, one, I'm sort of, you know, is there a common definition for what you call a hate cluster, because that's a term that, that appears quite a bit uh, in the writing about your research. And moreover, for, for each of these four, I'm kind of curious to hear you unpack each of them, but but who do you think is responsible for administering these these interventions, ultimately?
1: Yeah, um, so in terms of responsibility, I think it is definitely a collective one. Um, you know who who if we we want an internet i think everyone would agree with that i think we want social media i think it, you know a lot of people would agree with that maybe not everybody but then um as i said no one social media company even has it within its power to actually be able to control the whole system so i think there's a combination of uh factors in terms of uh And the social media companies are already getting together, but of course they're companies, so they it's like different. You know, it's like you know one big car company talking to another big car company and trying to get some common strategy or practice. I think it takes it takes time. So, but to get to the point about what the clusters are, so this could be you know that we often think of things like Facebook, but Facebook has other. Um, there are copies of Facebook, effectively, such as VContact, which is a big platform in, well, it's cited in Central Europe, but it has users in pretty much every state, you know, all the states from across the US and across Europe and across Australia. And it has hundreds of millions of um, users worldwide, and it has the same features as uh, Facebook. It has pages, it has groups, communities, and that's what we call a cluster. So, amazing thing of social media is, of course, it provides these spaces. And that's what we mean by a cluster. A cluster is a space where people are members or they're followers or they get together in some community, whatever the, they're called, different names on different platforms. But it's some space where anything between, you know, two and two million people can be involved in a conversation and just basically develop something, developing something. You know, it could be the local swim club. could be international swimming club. It could be jazz clubs. It could be anything. But it could also be groups that are um, developing, um, first of all, narratives that are uh, hateful and also developing um, strategies for things they would like to see play out in the real world.
0: Yeah. And- so... Yeah. when you talk about the when you talk about the number of people that may be involved in any one of these specific clusters there are two of the strategies I wanted to hear you unpack a little bit more when you talk about the Achilles heel of the online hate groups being being decimated by banning a small fraction of users that will make the whole global network fall apart describe to me how that would work That's fascinating.
1: Yeah so um, the problem is um, there are some very high profile individuals who are promoting, um, hate but the trouble is they if if and social media companies have tried this they try banning the, their accounts it almost makes a um it makes it a mark makes them a martyr and um, um you know it kind of has the opposite reaction um that then they, they gain support um so you don't necessarily it's not necessarily desirable to Ban and then one enters into all the ideas about you know I've I've I've, I've got to then I might, may even be sued by a, 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 one of the uh, you know a high profile individual. Um, so the it turns out because as I said all the yards are into it's the equivalent of all the yards being interconnected. Um, it's such an interconnected system that by removing some faults and. I'm talking about active followers and promoters of hate content and hate material and hate um, activity online who are less high profile and actually being very low profile because it's the system is so interconnected that it can fall apart very, very quickly. That's fascinating. So so that turns out to be something that's, beneficial for the um that be for the um social media companies in particular that they could remove a, a small fraction I mean in principle anyone promoting hate valid um, violates the terms of service and so should have their account removed but it turns out that as uh, we found in our modeling and this is a mathematical modeling um that if you remove a relatively low percentage 10 20 percent of these lesser um Less, less lower-profile um, hate um, pro- individuals online. That the system will pretty much fall apart very quickly.
0: Sort of a house of cards. If you take out a couple of cards, the whole thing sort of falls in on itself. And then it
1: exactly, you yeah. don't have to go for the most obvious, highest-profile one.
0: Yeah, and then you also comment about how how you could potentially pit uh, competing ideologies, even competing hateful ideologies. Against one another, and what that would do in terms of sort of exploding and collapsing their their respective powers. How how do you envision that working?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, that could. Um, I mean, the the the, um, the risk of that of of there are anti hate clusters. There are very few, but um, people have formed anti hate clusters. The trouble is that when there are individuals then who you know, who trying to reduce the amount of, I mean, it could be anyone, it could be parents, local, um, just people, you know, good good citizens who are try, just trying to remove that. Um, they, they tend to do these things alone. They um, Whereas if they were to form into a cluster just like the, the opponents, <laughs> um, they would have a better chance of engaging with them on the level of, I mean, you, 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 the, Cluster then comes across a, a cluster of equal size who are knocking down everything that they try to every tr- every statement that they try to make yeah. to the cluster members gets then um, opposed. Yeah. Um, of course, it could drive things the other way. It's true that um, you know that can make it, uh, the, 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 the hate cluster more resilient. So my actual pre- and I is a strange thing to say, but my kind of favourite. Um, policy, if there, if there is, uh, if I can say that, is to help out. And here's, here's the interesting thing. We found that, for example, Europe is very bad. I mean, whatever we think in terms of around the world, the Europe, the, the scene in Europe online from what we found is really complex. Um, so here's an, a particular example. For example, in the UK, there's um, quite a lot of hate group, hate clusters online. Um, who are you neo-Nazi? Know, um, however, if you look deeper into their narratives, um, and we find examples of this everywhere we look, one may be um, looking to have an end goal that is a unified Europe, following a, a, a kind of Hitler's, um, you know, kind of uh, what Hitler was trying to to do. They they want to continue that battle. And others who are also neo-Nazi use the same symbols, same symbolism, same narrative In terms of neo-Nazi, will they're looking for a completely fragmented Europe? Hmm. They are looking—not that they're looking for just a, you know a Brexit kind of exit for every country. They, they also want to break up the countries and, um, because they, they they want to go back to some, it's almost like a you know kind of local race tribe type view. And that so they're completely opposite end end games that they have, and yet when you look at these two um, clusters online, these two neo-Nazi clusters, they they sort of they're happy they see strength because the other one is around as well. where well, there's other clusters around that think the same as us. So one could introduce the third party that drew out those differences between between them, the differences in the ideologies, because there are in terms of the end game, et cetera, then I think that we think, and it shows in our modeling, that that would begin to make them question the stance. and It would weaken the, the groups without actually confronting them to beat them. It's more like drawing out the differences in their the narrative end game.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating. That sounds like uh, incredibly uh, delicate, risky work, but potentially, uh, uh, very, very useful if, if done, done in the right way. I'm, I'm curious to that point, who, who is the sort of client for this research? Cause it sounds clearly you have a, a tremendous interest in solving this problem and you and your colleagues are putting a, a tremendous amount of time and energy into this, but are you aiming this at us regulators like the Congress at the, at the tech companies themselves? Who do you hope to use this map that you're, you're creating?
1: Yeah, well, since our um, our most recent paper was published in Nature, we've had the um, we've we've had a very positive engagement with um, people in the government um, here in Washington, and also with I can't say which of the major platforms, but um, one of the major platforms who are very 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 interested in this and thinking through details of how to how it could be implemented, so. We, and, and we've also had a really positive response from um, members of the public who saw this and want to get involved and have their own cluster. Or, and so, and, and uh, although that's beyond something that we could do, we, we're in a university research group, you, you can see that the kind of the pieces are in place to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, it's a combination. I think it's a, it is a government, certainly a government thing. In all, First of all, the, I, I really think that everybody in uh, any government position related concerning this issue should understand the map of what it looks like out there. And then second, that then frames how to go about, you know, which of these policies that you listed out might be more appropriate. And which one could be implemented quickly, more slowly, what it would take, et cetera. And that debate could then um, be underway, but I, I, I get get underway. But we have, in the in the recent short time since this publication, we have actually been involved in those conversations. So I'm very positive about that.
0: That's good. Well, that's a very encouraging note to end on. And I think we will leave it there for now. Neil Johnson, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: My thanks to Neil Johnson and George Washington University. Thanks also to the staff at WUTC for their production assistance. A reminder, we have several great events coming up soon, including a panel discussion on Wednesday, November the 6th, about journalism and extremism that will feature the stories of investigative reporters from across Tennessee and Georgia who have been covering white nationalism and hate groups recently. Also, our next big public meeting at the Camp House on November the 12th will feature Christian Picciolini from MSNBC's Breaking Hate. Details and RSVP links for all of these events are on our website, cha.city slash against hate. This is The Scanner, a production of the Mayor's Council Against Hate and the American Diversity Report. Thank you for listening.